Well, we have been in a series called The Source of Hope, appropriate for, I don't know how long we'll go in this, but, you know, appropriate for the, the Christmas season. But um, we're going to continue in that tonight. Let's look at Romans 15, 13. Romans 15, 13. It says there, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The New Living Translation says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope. Now, before we go further, we're going to read a, a, a few more versions of that. But hope is not, hope when we read it in the Bible, is not the way we typically use hope in our English language. Most people, when they say, I hope something happens, what they mean is, I wish it would. Oh, I wish it would. I hope my team wins. That doesn't mean, that means you, you're, you're wishing, but you're not confident. The, the, when we read it in the Bible, it means you confidently expect it to happen. When you say, so that if we were to use it the way the Bible uses it in our language, then when, if we say, I hope my team wins, what you're saying is, they're going to win. I expect them to win. It's an expectation. It's not a wishy-washy, maybe. It's, I expect success. I expect it to happen. So when we see this um, here, if you put up the New Living Translation, it says, I pray that the God, that God, the source of hope, we're talking about the source of confident expectation. It says, can you put that up? We'll fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope. So God is the source of hope and he, he brings that to you and, and helps you so that you can overflow with confident hope. In the ERV, the easy to read version says, I pray that the God who gives hope, God is the one who gives hope. You can see people put false, they have false hope in certain things that can disappoint them, but God won't disappoint you. He is the eternal one. He has always been, he will always be. His word always comes true. He is always faithful and he is the source of true hope, true expectation of good happening. The Passion Translation says, now may God, the fountain of hope, the fountain of hope, that means he, it just keeps coming. He will never run out. Human hope, human expectation can be disappointed. It can run out, but when you're looking to God, it won't run out. It will never fail, ever. For him to fail, the whole universe would fall apart because the Bible says it's, it's up, all things are upheld by the word of his power. It says, the, may God, the fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in him. May the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his superabundance until you radiate with hope. Remember, radiate with hope, radiate with confident expectation of good. You're radiating just knowing it's going to get better. It's going to be good. I'm expecting good things. It may not look good, but that's not, that doesn't matter because you're hooked up with God, the source of hope, so you're expecting good anyway. See, that's a different way than most of the world lives. They live by sight. They live by circumstance. Maybe Happy one day, but then down in the dumps the next day. But God is constant, and if we're hooked up with Him as our source, then we can become constant 
and radiating with this hope. So we've been talking about different aspects of this. You know, all those messages are available a number of places, YouTube, our website, Facebook, and the podcast, uh, so you can catch up, listen to those. It'll be a blessing to you. Let's look at 1 Kings 18, verse 17 to 9. First Kings 18, verse 17. It says, Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? Now Ahab is a wicked king of, of Israel. He is one of the worst kings <clears throat> they had. He did horrible things. He... Um, and we'll see this. He caused the people to go after other gods, to serve idols, to, to do all kinds of things that are abhorrent to God. And, um, I mean, he didn't just do it a little bit. He did it a lot. And his wife was um, the daughter of a king, a foreign king, and caused him to sin, didn't help out at all. You know, your wife's supposed to be a helper. <laughs> well, she was a helper in the wrong direction. You know, evil woman. But, uh, so we're in the middle here. Uh, Ahab's trying to track down Elijah. Elijah's the prophet of God, prophet of Israel. And uh, Ahab's looking for him. And finally, you know, Elijah comes in contact with somebody. And, and Ahab, it goes, Elijah goes to Ahab, or Ahab comes to him, finds him. And so now they're coming together. It's kind of like, and they, find, they, they stand off later. You know, he was like, that later in the book, Ahab comes up to Elijah and it's like, is that you, my enemy? I mean, it's just kind of like one of these, one of these uh, standoffs. They, they, uh, they have this relationship. I mean, Ahab's wicked, Elijah's the prophet, and Elijah's just a thorn in Ahab's side. Verse 17, then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, let's read that again, that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? No, actually, Ahab's the troubler. Elijah's the good guy. That's projection there. Verse 18, and he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the, ba the Baals. So, um, Baals above is like, these are the these are idols. They're demons, and you know Ahab's causing Israel to serve demons. He's the king of God's people, and he's leading them after other gods. Which is the first commandment that you shall have no other gods before me. So, pretty horrible. So, um, verse nineteen. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount at Mount Carmel the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table or who Jezebel provides for. So Elijah tells Ahab, gather all the prophets at Mount Carmel. Verse 20, and he says, gather Israel around. So gather an audience. Verse 20, so Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. 
But the people answered him not a word. So they're just look at him. He's saying, if, if you're going to serve God, serve God. If you're going to serve these you know, idols, then, then serve them. But make up your mind. Verse 22, then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bowls and let them choose one bowl for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bowl, lay it on the wood, put, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So Elijah says, all right, here's what we're going to do. He brings all, all Israel comes. He, the prophets come of, you know, the, the idols of the Baals. And he said, all right, make an altar, put wood on it, cut up the, the bull, the sacrifice, but don't put any fire under it. You're not going to put any fire under it. And he goes, you pick the bull, you do that, and I'm going to do that. Then you call to your God. And the one that answers by fire, he is God. I mean, that's a challenge. I mean, he's just throwing down the gauntlet. He's saying, we're not going to start him on fire. The one that answers by fire, he's God. So we're not going to take time to read all the in-between. We're just going to um, just talk about some of it, and then we'll come back. We'll, we'll hook up with it later in the chapter. But what happens is, the, all these prophets, 450 of these prophets of Baal, they, so they do that, they make the sacrifice, get it there, and they start calling out to their God. And they're jumping around, and they're doing this all morning to noon. They're jumping around, they start cutting themselves, because that's what they do, you know, blood sacrifice and stuff. They're just calling out, nothing's happening. So then, Elijah starts trolling them. He starts saying, What? You better call out a little louder. Maybe you know your God's asleep, or maybe he's on an errand, or maybe he's busy. You know, you better do more. Maybe he'll answer. He's just mocking them. And so they keep going like this all day. Nothing happens. And so then Elijah steps up, and he says, all right. <clears throat> he, he makes an altar. He puts the wood there, and he puts the bull there. And then he, did, there's a, he has a trench dug around the, the altar, a big trench. And then he tells them, go dump water all over the sacrifice. And then he says, do it again. And then he says, do it again. What's he doing? We're going to drench this thing. There's going to be no mistake. There wasn't like some random spark that made this thing start on fire. He makes the, gets the sacrifice ready and drenches it. Let's, and then let's look at 1 Kings 18.36. We'll pick it up here. It says, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Remember, he has an audience. They called out all Israel. They have the 450 prophets of, 
of Baal, but all Israel is watching. And so he's calling out. They've been calling out all day. Nothing's happened. So then he goes and he just said this to God. He called out to God and said, let this happen that they, that they would know that you're God. In verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. So when he had poured out the water, it filled up the trench. So this thing is drenched. It says, Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. So they have this sacrifice. It is completely drenched with water so much that there's this trench around it. That's full. Fire comes out of heaven consumes the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and all the water, and all the dust. I mean, that wasn't a little fire. You imagine what that looked like. That happened. Imagine if you're looking, and fire comes out of heaven. I mean, what would that have looked like? Just, and then when it's, when it, the dust settles, or there's no dust. If this, once everything is clear, there is nothing. I mean, it's unmistakable that this was God. These other guys are yelling all day, nothing. And then Elijah gets up there, and everything is consumed. I mean, that is amazing. Would you not agree? I mean, imagine seeing that. We're going to get to see the video in heaven, probably. That'd be a good one. So what happened next? Verse 39, Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. They're fickle. I mean, okay, you're coming back, but you know, just a minute ago, you're serving this other demon. They can't do anything. Verse 40, And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook, Kishon, and executed them there. So they killed them all. Because they're, they're wicked, they're evil, they're leading everybody astray. So that is an amazing miracle. So now skip down to 1 Kings 19. So this is a little bit later, some other stuff happened in between. You know, it started raining and all this, but because um, the, the land was in a drought. 1 Kings 19 verse 1 and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. So Ahab go tells his wife what Elijah had done and also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. So these prophets are provided for by this woman. From the treasury, she's feeding all of them. She's, she's instigating all this stuff. Verse 2, Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as one of them by tomorrow about this time. So she's threatening him. Say, I'm going to take you out. I'm going to make you like the people you just killed. You're going to be like them tomorrow at this time. Verse 3, and when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. Elijah, the guy that just called fire down from heaven. In front of all Israel, he saw a miracle of miracles, and he is now running for his life. 
It says, when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Verse 4, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree or a juniper tree, and he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. So this guy, this prophet of God, that just walked out, threw down the gauntlet in front of the whole nation, in front of hundreds of prophets of the, the you know, devil, the demons. He, he is so bold, walks out, sees this amazing miracle, no fear. Now this woman is threatening him, and now he's running for his life. And not only that, he says, I want to die. I'm no better. God, take me out. In 1 Kings 19, uh, verse 5, the next verse, we'll just read this passage. Then as he lay and, and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Verse 9, there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, the children of Israel, have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. So he was very bold, and now he is a different person. He is, he is uh, drawing back, and he's looking at the wrong thing. And he's saying, I'm the only one left. Now, it, it said that he was the, the last prophet, but um, just a little bit further down, so this, this is, uh, we're not going to take time to read it. This is a part where God um, comes, and uh, there was a, wind, and there's a, uh, you know, all these different um, natural things, but it said God wasn't in that, but he was in a still small voice, and he comes and says the same thing to, to Elijah again. But right after that, he's talking to Elijah, and the last part of this, in verse 18, he says, yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all who knee, whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So God is saying, there are more than you think there are that haven't bowed their knee. You, it may look like everybody has gone after these, these other gods, but it's not true. There are more. And in the same sentence or same passage, he tells Elijah, he gave, gave him some instructions, and one of them was, Elisha's going to replace you as prophet. But there wasn't just, he wasn't the only person that believed God. He was the forefront prophet, but there were people that believed God besides him. But he was at the point where he wanted to end it all and was discouraged. And then after this, if you, if you keep reading to the next chapter, which we're not going to take time to do, after this, later, uh, with the son of Ahab, uh, when he was king, uh, he starts going after other gods, and he's, he's inquiring of another god, and God sends him, God sends a, um, Elijah 
to go to him and prophesy something to him. And, or he says something to, their, to these messengers. And then these me- so then this guy sends people after Elijah and, uh, to seek him out. The guy sends uh, 50 people and a captain of 50 to Elijah. And Elijah's just sitting there on a hill. And he calls fire down from heaven and consumes them. And then it happens again. Another group of 50 and a, and a leader come. And Elijah's just sitting there, and he calls fire down on them, and they're all gone. Then a third one comes up, and the guy goes, whoa, 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 um, I saw the other two. Please have mercy on me. Uh, please esteem my life. I, in other words, I know what's going to happen if I come after you. Can, can you. I'm not sending myself. Can you please have mercy on me? Just come with me. And he did. But at that point, look at the power the man walked in. They couldn't touch him. Before they couldn't touch him, and then later he couldn't touch him. But at this point... He wants to die. But in, the, in his future was power. In his past was power. But at this point, he's hopeless. Can you see that? I mean, if you want to die, if you're telling God, kill me, because it's over for me, you're hopeless. Why is he hopeless? He just, that's one of the greatest miracles in the whole Bible. I mean, how could you doubt that God was with you? I mean, it's an audience. It's not something that happened in a corner. It, it was in front of everybody. Exactly what he said would happen, happened. But a little bit later, he is doubting that he even... I mean, I, no, they, he, he's just he's doubting life. Yet in his future was power again. So right now, he is looking at the wrong thing. If a prophet of God that walked in that kind of power can get there, you and I can get there. You can be at the point where you're discouraged even though it's not true. He was scared of Jezebel. He just took out hundreds of the prophets that she's instigating. She's nobody. She's a woman. She may be wicked, but if God backed him up there, and then when they tried to get him later, they couldn't touch him. It's like you're you're bringing 50 people. (laughs) Another 50 people. (laughs) I mean, if Jezebel came at him, what does he have to be scared of? But he is. He's so scared, he's running away. And this can happen to anybody. You say, well, no, if I saw such and such, it would never happen to me. That's just not true. If you look at the wrong thing, it doesn't matter what you've seen, how good God's been to you, how faithful he's been to you, how he's come through to you, you can end up just like this. If you look at the wrong thing. Look at, look at uh, Philippians 4, verse 8. We're talking about hope in the context of hope. Hope comes from God. You take your eyes off that, look at the wrong thing, you can become hopeless, doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what God's done. It has nothing to do with what God's done. It has everything to do with where you're looking. Because we have a liar that lies to us, and if you listen to him, you end up in the wrong place. Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true... Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. Let's look at it in the NLT. It says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true. 
and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable, think about these things or think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Well, if you're thinking about those things, you're not thinking about what is false, what is you know, not worthy of praise. And if you do think about the wrong things, that brings you in a certain direction. But if we think about these things, we'll stay in the right place. We'll stay in the right place spiritually. We'll be looking at the right things. God has the opportunity to lead us and guide us. But when we yield to deception, things that aren't true, then we open ourselves up to dismay, to discouragement, to where you can be hopeless. And actually, in your future, it is very bright. God has good things, just like He had good things in the back. He has great things for you, but you can be talked out of it and want to quit and want to lay everything down and say, forget it, and even want to die like Elijah or want to give up, you know, whatever it is. Death in so many areas. It can be death of your career, death of your marriage, death of another relationship, death in your body. I mean, something that you're giving up in. It could be any number of things because we're, we can look at the wrong thing and when we look at the wrong thing, we give Satan the opportunity to deceive us. And it can happen to anybody. You can be so discouraged, so hopeless, even though right on the other side is victory and victory and victory and the enemy is just trying to play you. Look at Revelation 12, verse 7. It says, a, a war broke, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So, that, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan. This is talking about when Satan was cast out of heaven. That great, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Notice it says, that, that serpent called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. That's what he does. He deceives the whole world. That's what the devil does. The Bible, Jesus uh, said to the, the religious leaders in John, he said, you're of your father, the devil, who is a liar. He is the father of liar, lies. He, lies. he lied from the beginning. There is no truth in him. Satan is a liar. He's a deceiver, and he gives impressions and brings suggestions to try to get us to look at the wrong thing. And when we look at the wrong thing, we're subject to his deception, and his deception can bring discouragement and despair, can lead you to be hopeless, even though it's actually, it's, it's actually, it's, it's uh, couched in lies. It may, there may be circumstance that's true. There may be feelings that are real. There could be symptoms that are real. We're not saying it's all imaginary, but he will lie to you about where it's going. This means you're going to lose in this area. This means there's no hope for you. This means you're going to die. This means you're going to lose this functionality in your body. This means that person's going to leave you. This means your business is going under. 
there may be circumstances and very real symptoms that, that, that are pressing, but Satan will lie to you about where it's going. Elijah, in his circumstance, Jezebel was coming after him, and he thought, there, she's going to kill me. I'm going to die. I don't want to go forward. But that's not true. She couldn't kill him. But he was so taken up by it that he was ready to quit. He, he's ready to quit life. He's walking as God's person on the earth, and he's ready to say, I'm no better than anybody. It never was anything. Well, that's what the devil does. Discouragement comes from believing the devil's lies. Discouragement comes from believing the devil's lies. He paints stuff, and, and he'll tell you, no, it's true, just look. You may have something in front of you, but he won't tell you God's truth and the fact that you can get out of it and what's actually in front of you. You say there's no hope for you, when in fact right behind this circumstance is a breakthrough, right behind the circumstance is victory, but he won't tell you that. He'll say there's no hope for you in hopes of you believing it and shutting down right there. So what do we need to do? We got to look at the right thing. We got to fix our thoughts on things that are true, Philippians said. We got to look at the things that are right and true and real and what God has said. To deceive, one, one definition of deceive, deceive is to cause to accept as true or valid what is false or invalid. When you're deceived, you're believing something that's not true. You've accepted it as true, even though it's not true. Otherwise, you wouldn't be deceived. If you're deceived, you are, by definition, believing something that's not real. Otherwise, you can see through it. You're like, no, that's not true. See, that's when you can see clearly. But being deceived, one person, one of my instructors put it this way, to deceive is to cause to think on something that's not true. Cause to think on something that isn't true. Well, what could cause you to think of that? There's suggestions from the enemy. There's circumstances. And when there's circumstances, he'll bring a thought to you and say that this means that. And what he's trying to do is get your mind to go on something that's actually not true. He knows it's not true. He knows what God has said. But he brings suggestions to try to get us. We don't see perfectly. We don't see everything clearly. We don't know the future. Satan doesn't know the future. But what he's trying to do is bring a suggestion that you're not going to make it past this. You're going down. And it, God's not with you. Uh, God's, not, God's word's not true. And what he's trying to do is get you to think on that, even though it's a lie. And when you think on that, your mind will follow that, your emotions will follow that, your actions can follow that, to where you put yourself in a position where you're ready to give up, when actually it's because you've been caused to think on something that's not true. You are deceived. Was Elijah deceived? Nobody could touch him, but he's deceived into thinking, it's over. This lady's going to kill me. That's not true. That was a lie. But he's deceived. He doesn't realize it's a lie, so much so he wants to end it. Look at, at uh, let's go to 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> let's go to 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2. 
It says, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to everyone's con- every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. This is talking, referring to the God of this age, Satan, and talking about how people don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's because they've been blinded. It's because he's deceiving. That's what it said in Revelation. He goes and deceives. Well, he does the same thing to Christians. If we let him. He'll try to blind you to the truth. He tries to deceive you, get you to look over here to where you are. In, in a sense, you are blind because you're looking at the wrong thing. Instead of doing what Philippians said, where you're looking at what is true, you've started looking at what's false. You're blinded to the truth, and then you are subject to actions that follow that lie. So if we're going to escape that, if we're going to... Uh, keep ourselves from following that path, we're going to need to do something when there are deceptions coming at us. We need to recognize them and we need to do something with them. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. Talking about in the context of hope. What do you do when something tries to push you down to where I don't know if I can go forward? What has happened? For you to feel like that, when the Bible says God's the source of hope, He's the fountain of hope, it says He's the one that gives hope, confident expectation of going forward for you to drop in the place where you don't want to go forward or you don't feel like, you don't think it's going to be good, you start believing it's not be good, going to be good, for you to get to that place, you have to be looking at something other than God because if you were looking at God, you would be full of expectation. So if we find ourselves, our hope going down, we have to know, I'm looking at something that's not right. And then Satan will whisper, well, but it is true. Just look, dummy, it's true. He's lying about it. He won't ever tell you the truth about the situation. The Bible said, what is of good report in Philippians 4 What is of good report? He'll tell you, yeah, it looks bad, but what he won't tell you, it's, it's going to turn around if you just believe God. So he won't tell you that. He'll tell you there's no hope. You bet you just quit. He's going to focus. See, that's a half truth. And he'll lie to you about what's going on behind the scenes. You know, you ever hear, you have a thought. You know, you're at work or something and somebody gives you a less than nice look and you're like, and you know, you hear, well, they don't like you. They're probably talking about you with all the other people. It may be that they just didn't have their cup of coffee yet. And you hit them at the wrong time, and, and maybe they're not even thinking of you. They're, they're, they, number one, they didn't have their coffee. Number two, they're thinking about the situation that happened last night, and they have some pressure, and they're just like half looking at you, but it's all over their face. Uh, you know, they're thinking about something else, and you take it personally, and right away, the enemy be quick to be like, well, they don't like you. You may think, well, that's obvious. It happens in, you name it, any situation, he'll tell you a half-truth about it, 
well, you're not going to get through on this. That's never going to happen for you. That, that person's not going to come back. This account's going to fold. Oh, that, that, the doctor said this. Oh, financially, you're not going to get here. Oh, you're not going to get that job. They don't like you. They, you shouldn't apply for that. He'll tell you any number of things, a half thing. What he, he's trying to play on ignorance, the fact that we don't see everything. He sees stuff behind the scenes. He can see what the other person is doing. He knows it's not true, but if he can get you to believe it, you'll start acting like it's true. He's trying to get us to shut down, to stop, to not believe God, to, to take ourselves away from the source of hope. 2 Corinthians 10.3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. It means you walk naturally. You don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or natural, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Talking about in your mind casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Let's read it in the Amplified. It says, for though we walk, or I'm thinking this is probably going to be, I think this is the, uh, I'll just read it from here. For though we walk in the flesh as mortal men, we are not carrying on our spiritual warfare according to the flesh and using the weapons of man. The weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood. Our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought and every purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. So when thoughts come, we have to put it up against what the Word of God says as to whether it's true or not. Because whenever you hear something that's a suggestion, I'm talking about you hearing voices, when there's a thought that pops in your mind, because not all your thoughts originate from you, the enemy can inject thoughts into your mind. You should ask, who said that? When, you, when something is an impression and, and pops in your mind, you should ask yourself, who said that? Is it, is that my thought? Is that what God says about the situation? And push back on it, and it says every thought. So as thoughts come, you, you have to filter it and push it down so that you say, wait a minute, that's not true. And it can be pushing back on you like, oh no, it's true you got to put it up against what the Word of God says. That's why we're going over what the Scripture says, because that is our go-to for determining truth. We look at what the Bible says. If it contradicts the Bible, then we know it's not true, and then we know maybe the circumstance looks like that, but God's Word says something else, so I'm going to believe God's Word. I'm going to believe Him. I'm not going to let deception bring me into a place of despair. I'm not going to look and think on the wrong thing. I'm going to think on the right thing. I'm going to think on what's true. I'm going to think on what God says. I'm going to think on what's a good report. You know, the devil will tell you, this thing is not going to turn out. That's not a good report. It may look true, but the, the, the truth is God can bring you over. God can bring you to the other side. That's the truth. It may not look good, but you can get through. And so if we'll look to that 
and believe that and focus on that, then we won't be subject to the devil's lies. We won't be subject to deception and we'll be able to go forward. And he can bring us to the other side. He can bring us through. And we don't have to sit down like Elijah and go, oh no, even though God has always come through for me, I just don't see how now and there's no way, might as well give up. May, you may not say, I want to die, but in some circumstance, you're saying, I won't move forward anymore. Mentally, you've checked out. Mentally, you're saying, I, I, I've, I've gone up that road so many times, it's just never going to change. And so, in that area, you're giving up and saying, there's no hope for me. You're, there is the, the expectation, the confident expectation, the confidence that things will go well is sapped out of you. That's a surefire sign that we're looking at the wrong thing, and if we'll hook back up with God as our source and say, nope, that, that's not a truth. God's Word's true, and I'm going to look at His Word, and it may not look good, but there is hope. There is always hope in Him. He is the source of it, and if I look to Him, there's going to follow confident expectation, and I can get back there. Even if it's dropped, that's just an indication I've looked at the wrong thing. So I can start looking at the right thing. And when I start looking at the right thing, hope will rise. And I can go through. And God will help me. And I'll go over. And then just like Elijah, he's cat. Not that, you know, we want to make a habit of calling fire down. Remember, this is the old covenant. Calling fire down on people. But then he is right down to where he's in that place. They can't touch him. Because he is walking in what God has called him to do. That was always in his future, and he would have missed it if he would have given up. Amen.